Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky, spicy soup. It's time to get fired up. Uh, we're fired up to have Campbell's on board as our new partner uh, for the rest of this year for the Raptor Show. We have some fun segments planned over the next uh, couple of months. Will's not here today, but uh, he's teased a surprise later in the week. We're going to see just how much he can handle his uh, his spicy or, or not spicy. Uh, make sure you also find the Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. Will's off today. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, so we're going to do, we're going to replace Will with two Raptors Republic people because that's the amount it takes to replace Will, who, by the way, still did a reaction pod uh, last night. If you didn't get to check that out, uh, join now by Samson Folk. And S. Fandy Arbarahini, a.k.a. S. Barney. What's up, guys? <laughs> What's up? What's up? How you doing? Thank you for the S. Barney shout out. Appreciate yeah, it. Got to do it. Samson, yeah. how are you? I'm doing good. Hanging in. Excited to be seated next to this wonderful chunky soup. There, yeah, it's uh, I mean, it's a nice little display. I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to I'm going to see if I'm allowed to eat some on air later in the week. And nice. uh, not for promotional purposes. I just would like some soup. It's it's been gray and dreary outside for months. I would soup love weather. some soup on on yeah. air. Yeah. Um, okay. We're not going to talk much about soup in this segment. Uh, we are actually before we get into it with you guys. We have a loaded show today. So you two are on for the first hour with me here. We're going to talk about last night's game. Talk a little about you know what we're looking at the rest of the season because if we're being honest, the actual outcomes don't really matter a ton for the Toronto Raptors at this point. Uh, in the second hour, we're going to be joined by Brittany Donaldson, assistant coach for the Atlanta Hawks, formerly of the Toronto. Raptors. It is Marc Gasol's birthday. We'll see if she has any memories of, of saving Marc Gasol from falling off the bus uh, with rosé bottles in hand during the championship celebration. Uh, Nikias Duncan is going to join us a little later, and we've got uh, Kyra Lewis Jr. from the Raptors slash Raptors 905. So, loaded show. No pressure, guys. Um, last night, Raptors lose 126-125 to the Atlanta Hawks. Um, uh, S, I know you did your, your morning breakdown, which is now Raptors Republic. What did you make of, and we'll get into some of the Raptor side stuff, but that turnover by Trey Young that Grady Dick scoops up and throws the Scotty Barnes for what we thought might be the game-winning bucket. What, what is going on there? Yeah, I think the the thing that actually caught, caught my eye originally was Grady grabbing the offensive rebounder, like tapping it mm-hmm. out, and he had such a good, all night he had a good knack for trying to grab those shots. Uh, and then it just kind of loose ball, Fumbled, Trey had to get it, and now he's squeezed into the corner, so it's a little bit easier to trap him. And then Jordan Nawara comes up with a pretty interesting, you know, steal. I don't know if the the steal got counted for Nawara or Grady. I think for Grady. Nawara just kind of, like, gets Was in there. the way, and Trey right. is, like, clearly yeah. he, expecting an intentional he beat foul. Him to the spot. Yeah. Yeah. And for the record... Grady could have punched that if he had stickier hands. <laughs> I, agree. I agree. That was yeah. Lewis and I argued about that. I was like, he was up there. He, mm-hmm. he didn't think he had the juice. I think he had the juice. Had the- but yeah, obviously what happened is that he's on the he's on the sideline. Wara beats him to the spot. And Trey was like, I'm getting a foul. I'm Trey Young. He goes to dive in. Wara's like backpedaling. Yeah. He's playing really great defense there. And obviously he tries to, you know, <laughs> he, has, he throws the ball away. We get a head kiss. I mean, <sighs> incredible scenes. Yeah, so the head kiss. Like, look, the, the <laughs> Raptors Republic three-on-three tournament takes place on March 30th. I yes. know you guys didn't have the success you wanted 
as a team last year. Um, is there a champion? Like, if you guys win at all, is there a head kiss in the I mix? Think, I think we actually lost because of the lack of head kisses. Lack of head kisses. You know? I heard it was a size issue, but also, yeah, maybe just <laughs> not enough for head kisses. That's why you're on the team yeah. this year. Yes. We need, we need yeah, I got to do my Bruce Brown, go guard a seven-footer. <laughs> exactly. That happened to me the first game. I was guarding a guy who was like six foot six and had probably 60 pounds on me. It yeah. wasn't a recipe for success. This which, is actually my role, like, when I play basketball. It's like, uh, PJ Tucker. Yeah, PJ Trucker hat, as Will once <laughs> called me. I've also gotten Rec League Roberson, which is just nice. really, really insulting. Uh, but yeah, one year, so in like uh, in Rec League, Eric Kareen's team always had like one guy who was like 6'5 or 6'6 six, six and was just like easily the best player on the team. And that was my duty. And I was like, I'd much rather guard Eric Kareen and annoy him and talk trash and stuff. But yeah, I got it. It's funny because he just said that he had trouble guarding a six foot seven guy with sixty pounds on him. But then at the same token, we'll be like, "Oh, I can, I can guard this guy, no problem, easy." Well, yeah, I, nobody else was gonna do it. Yeah, you gotta have, <laughs> you gotta have confidence, rational or yeah, otherwise. Yeah. Um, so the Raptors come up with that steal. Trey Young throws the ball away. Grady to Scotty Barnes, forehead kiss. We we think they're in good shape to win the game. And then Bruce Brown gets the assignment on Trey Young off the uh, ensuing ATO with the clock about to run out. Scotty does a great job in help defense. Trey tries one of his, his kind of high arcing floaters. Scotty almost gets a piece of it. It looks like they've stopped it. And then of course it's Sadiq Bay who comes in with the putback. So that was part of 20 offensive rebounds on the night for the Hawks. I believe Sadiq Bay has 17 offensive rebounds across three games against the Raptors this year. He's also, I did a little query for like undersized offensive rebounding He's a good guys. Rebounder. Yeah, and uh, the a name that keeps coming up on this show, the only guy who's like more impressive per size, I guess Russell Westbrook, but Andre Jackson Jr. is uh, is smaller than him and has a, a slightly higher offensive rebounding rate. Um, so on the night, twenty offensive rebounds for the Hawks, seventy six points in the paint, ninety ninth percentile shooting volume at the rim, and they shoot seventy three point three percent there. Um, Sansa, we'll, we'll start with you. Is there, look, you can play better defense than this. There has to be a way to play better defense than this without a center. Um, but, you know, tactically, strategically, what do they need to do better while Jakob's out, if Jakob's going to continue to be out? Because he's uh, he's progressing at least. They need to not play Trey Young because they threw every coverage at Trey Young. I saw drop. I yep. saw hedge and recover. I saw blitz. I saw switch to blitz. And the thing about Trey Young, even at his small stature, is that he'll take negative dribbles and still find passing windows windows to his rolling big. And so that's a really important thing is when you put all that pressure and you make a guy take negative dribbles, you bring two guys above the break defensively uh, to one guy. And basically, Trey Young was consistently putting the Raptors in an odd man, or yeah. the Hawks in a man advantage. And the thing about that is, like, whether it's Scotty up at the blitz or Scotty on the back line... It doesn't really matter if you have a guy like Clint Capella moving towards the rim. Even if you get the stop, you have to provide so much cover as a help defender to try and contest that. And then the back line for offensive rebounds for a guy like Sadiq Bey, as we saw for the game-winning basket, is just not available. So tools not there necessarily, and Trey Young is one of the very best at manipulating and beating teams that lack in, let's say, point-of-attack defense, which is why, you know gone but not forgotten from the Raptors team, OG Ananobi was very, very helpful. Even Precious Achua, very, very helpful in those coverages. So not having those guys was like a super big deal. Yeah, and look, uh, one of the positives from last night's game was I thought Scotty Barnes was excellent defensively. He's a monster. But you can only play him in one of these roles, right? Yeah, you can't sure. have him be the point of attack guy and the backline defender. Um, as what is your 
preference in terms of how they use Scotty oh defensively because it, it is I change my mind all the time because like yeah. I want him like theoretically I want him in that lower half I want him helping I want him being the the guy who comes in and changes Trey's shot once he gets that floater off against Bruce Brown yep. and then I see the point of attack defense I'm like hush sure it would be nice to have Scotty Barnes there too <laughs> I think ideally in the final version of this team you have him as that help side defender like a guy who can roam the 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 weak side be able to block shots use his length to like muck up passing lanes that's the way that scotty can thrive on the defensive end but if we're talking about development which i'm sure we'll get into but you want him to be comfortable at the point of attack he's never going to be used to guarding a guy like trey young that's not going to happen just because of trey's quick feet you know the the hip mobility isn't really there for a guy like scotty but you want him to be comfortable guarding guys out on the perimeter, giving them space, maybe using his length to contest shots. Like, that's part of the program when it comes to development, right? And figuring out what a guy can do to to maximize himself defensively. They're kind of stretched thin at this point at the point of attack. Like, even last night, they had Bruce Brown on Trey Young a little bit, and Bruce was struggling, to say the least, to contain a guy like Trey. You're not going to have many answers, like Samson said, when it comes to guarding a guy like Trey Young, but... I think Scotty has done such a good job on bigger wings, and that at the point of attack might work. Like Kevin Durant, last month against the Suns, he did a really good job of containing KD. He had a good couple of possessions on Jason Tatum. There's moments and different types of archetypes that he can guard on ball, but when it comes to the help side stuff, it's just he's so much better at thriving as this off-ball guy. It's sort of, it's sort of like Giannis. You know, as crazy as it is to say, because Giannis isn't necessarily the best on-ball defender, not a guy you want to switch out on the perimeter either, but he's so long, he's so tall that he can be such a great interior presence. So that's how Scotty got to do it. We had a, a one-game example at the start of the 2022-23 season. I think Trey had, what, like 11 turnovers in that game? Mm -hmm. Scotty was his primary in a lot of those. Yeah. Was that one of the games where Precious drove Trey nuts too? Yeah. The Precious? Switches. The big one Precious was in the 2021-22 season okay. where they stopped running pick and roll to keep him out of it. But that was the big Coloco game was mm. that first Hawks game. And basically what was happening is they were blitzing Trey and Scotty a little bit more mobile than what Trey was used to at that position. And especially since they were blitzing with him as the point of attack guy, a little bit more length in the passing lanes that he was used to. Mm. And we saw a lot of early pickups. Yeah. We saw him flustered. And I think it would be nice to be able to obviously put, as S kind of talked about, put Scotty in stronger roles for him over time. But also as kind of like a, a, from a utilitarian standpoint, have a guy who can be like kind of a knuckleball at the point of attack who, if there's a really quick guy, you can overwhelm with length. But also if there's a guy who you need to throw different looks at, you can kind of like yeah. give a buffer see what happens, and corral guys. So there's An a lot of utility. innings eater there. when it comes yeah, to the defense. Sure, event, sure. Right? Yeah, and we've seen them do different things like that, like against Golden State where he was the Steph coverage, yeah. and it's like, hey, you're not going to guard Steph one-on-one, -on -one, but you're going to use the length, top lock, try to gum up the other team system, even if it's not a lockdown role. Speaking of a, a knuckleball-type approach, what did you think of the him he actually it succeeded this time Jalen Johnson gets the ball at like the low elbow late in the game and Scotty does the like the I'm, fake charge. I'm fake drawing a charge but then J it goes into contesting the shot yeah. like that one seems like the timing has to be so good for it not to just give the guy a window for like an uncontested kind of push shot uh seemed to work there it at least seemed to throw Jalen Johnson off right I was gonna say it made him hesitate in that moment and I don't know if that's something you want to throw out normally but <laughs> 
in the end, it worked. Low, um, low success rate. Low, su- very low success rate. I mean, if I don't know how many times Scotty has done that in his career so far, but it hasn't worked out to his favor before. This was the first time where it was like, huh, okay, maybe this is this is something that works. Also, Jalen Johnson, very good basketball player, by the way. Yeah. So uh, I did. I, I was going to say this, but let's talk about this because Jalen Johnson. I mean, first of all, he, he's come up in conversations because he yeah. is someone. When we heard Pascal to Atlanta rumors in the off season, I think all of us kind of licked our chops a little bit at potentially getting Jalen Johnson. He's been, if not for the injury, I think he'd be right there in the conversation for most improved player. And what we saw yesterday was him get used in ways we haven't seen. And and I'm not watching every Hawks game, but Mm -hmm. with no DeJounte Murray in there and with Bogdanovich forced to start, that changes up some of their bench rotations. And they use Jalen Johnson a lot in the kind of guard parts of their of their action. So obviously Trey Young still has the ball, but they do a lot of guard guard screening it and Jalen Johnson was a part of that. You guys mentioned the kind of four on three situations that get created underneath Trey Young blitzes. A lot of Jalen Johnson being the guy who flashes out to operate that. Um, what do you, if anything, and I'll start with you, Simpson, what Jalen Johnson's been able to do over the course of this year relative to last year and the way the Hawks have kind of empowered him developmentally to where he's now like i think unquestionably the number two to to trey long term um what what can we pull from that what can we learn from that i think that he has a lot more fluidity on ball than people initially thought and he was able to kind of explore those avenues more so after he simplified his game there's kind of like this john collins thing of playing next to trey young is like be good at the simple things and you'll put up points and then we also see jalen johnson is like a really smooth mover out on the court is like with a live dribble or otherwise. That's why he, especially for the first like half, three quarters of the game, was a pretty good check on Scotty. He's like moving through the actions if they have any type of switching schemes that they want to go through or if he's going under over screens. Smooth through it, handles him in space as an isolation defender. And then offensively, you could see it when a guy like leads the break, is like switching lanes with a live dribble, seeing it develop ahead of him. And then like in the open floor, being a guy who can shoot, being a guy who can rim run, and being a guy who makes some of those connective reads whether that's the Hawks being like, we see this in practice and we know we have to create room for him to grow his game outside of that, I'm not sure. But as far as like the outcomes, I mean, that's where we're at. He's provided a ton of stuff. And, you know, we are all aware of PD Webb here. He's a, he's a scout, but he talked about how the modern four, the modern power forward is basically do everything all the time. Yeah. That's, what's, that's what asked of them. We can see it with Scotty. We saw it with Pascal. And Jalen Johnson will have that asked of him over time now. And he seems uh, more capable than most guys his size. Yeah, certainly. And at least from a, a skill set standpoint. And I mean, the the kind of, I know he didn't shoot well yesterday, but like the developmental capacity, the like how quickly he seems to pick things up yep. is really encouraging. Um, as with respect to how the Raptors are going to develop over the next couple of years. And they don't have a, I mean, their Jalen Johnson type is Scotty Barnes, right. who is, you know, the number one guy right now. And we, we could talk lots about him. Um, but the next guys who come through and it doesn't even have to be a Jalen Johnson type stylistically is the lesson here from the Hawks and Collins as an example, Capella as an example and things like that, that you, even if it helps you win right now, there's a real cost to boxing guys into roles too early. Absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned that because I was doing some play-by-play for uh, North Pole Hoops literally Mm -hmm. this weekend. And we were talking about at a grassroots level, having guys be in boxes very early into their careers, like 16, 17 years old, limits them so much when they become 21, 22, and they're in college or end up in the NBA. And so they, the skills that they pick up along the way don't, I guess, translate the way that you would want it to at the professional level or even at the college level 
because it's been so, I guess, pigeonholed early on. So when you look at guys who are in these really great prep programs or like rep programs, they're put in place like bigs are roaming the perimeter, like they're Bam Adebayo and Victor <laughs> Wembanyama. Like they're they're completely comfortable with like just letting a big do whatever he wants just based on their skill set. I think that's important. And when you look at the Hawks, they've generally had an approach where it's like we are just hoping that we can cobble up things together to have a competitive team around Trey. When you have this developmental win in Jalen Johnson, it's like, okay, now we have an identity that we can build around Trey mm -hmm. and a guy who's a good weak side rim protector, like defender type in Jalen. That's the type of guy you want around Trey. I also, I find it fascinating that there are all these, you know, young guys trying to be, you know, BAM types. So they all just play terribly in January and February. <laughs> They're only good at the start of the year and then in the playoffs. Uh, all these kids just taking months off. Um, okay, last one on the Hawks before we pivot to a lot more Raptor-specific stuff. Um, so that team was without DeJounte Murray. And they were out the, without DeAndre Hunter. Um, we we can acknowledge that you know AJ Griffin is available, but not really. Yeah, you know, sure. he, there's been a weirdness there around the the personal issues that have kept him out of the lineup. But for the most part, we know who the Hawks are. This is several years in with this Hawks team, with this Hawks core. Jalen Johnson emerging as he has certainly changes the medium term outlook of what a core here would look like. But for this year, this team should be selling right. Like they're bad. Absolutely. Like, not even a question. I mean, the fact, what are they, 16 and 30 now or 17? 19 and 27. Sorry, 19 the and Raptors 27. The Raptors are 16 right, and 30. Yeah, the Raptors are, yeah, maybe they should be sellers too. But, but whatever, that's a different story. Um, for the Hawks, it's just this team on paper, when you look at the roster, it's supposed to be better than it is. Like, you look at the collection of players, it's like, yeah, they could cobble up 41, 42, 43 wins in a season, and it just has not worked whatsoever. Part of that is the seamlessness, if you will, between Trey and DeJounte just hasn't been there. They, they, they kind of occupy similar areas of the floor. They try to do similar things, although Trey does it obviously better. Um, and I think that's created a weird conundrum, but yeah, they got to blow it up. I agree. Uh, Bogdan Sampson, one of the one of the top guys of like, hey, this is a role player, but I'd love to see him on a good team instead of a bad team. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of guys like that in the NBA, but I think... Both he, Bogdanovich. Yeah. Yes. Really. The yeah. Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich. Yeah. Hey. That's, wait, go. who, who got go. it first? I no, wonder. I don't know. Rolling um, from the tape. But he, he played on, on Serbia. He was the MVP. So yeah. he's done it once. He knows what it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Like Dennis Shooter coming in and telling the Raptors, like, <laughs> I, hey, guys, I see what a good unit looks like. It's in Germany. And then, um, obviously, the Raptors has been a little bit tougher. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, it has been a little bit uh, tougher for the Raptors. <laughs> um, okay. So, look, last night there were there were some positives in this loss. And, you know, to look at my mentions, a lot of people would tell you that actually losing by one point is the most positive you could possibly get. We can talk later about whether you actually want the pick to convey, whether you care about the, the ping pong balls, whatever. The outcomes do not matter nearly as much as the player development side of things right now. Yep. And last night we saw some good stuff in that regard. Uh, we talked a little bit about Scotty's defense, thought he had a really nice versatile playmaking game as well, scored the ball efficiently, was a bully late, just like, hey, Jalen Johnson, I'm going to go at you. I think All of his points in the paint, which yeah. is crazy. Right? Yeah, which is, you know, there have been times where he settles in as a jump shooter or whatever, or, or only even gets a couple dribbles in the paint for entire stretches of game. I thought it was a, a really nice Scotty game. We also got a three-man bench unit that uh, I don't know that anyone expected, even the like G League lovers among us, to contribute big time to winning basketball uh, right now. Grady Dick, Jonte Porter, Jordan Mora all had really nice games. 
uh, off the bench. Let's start with Jordan Wara uh, because I, I want to give a little bit more time for Grady in the second segment. Jordan Wara came to Toronto in this trade purely as, as salary filler. He's 25 years old. It's year four. He's headed for free agency and, and like, you know, is basically playing to get another shot in the league, not playing for a big contract, playing to, hey, I should be in the league rather than the G League or a high-end Euro League guy. Yep. He's played a lot of minutes on good teams. He's He had rotation time with the Milwaukee Bucks. He had rotation time with the Indiana Pacers, two systems where really all they need a power forward to do is knock down some threes. Mm-hmm. We know he can shoot a little bit. I have not been the highest on him. I, I was not super high. I thought this was just a pure make the salaries work, throw in. And if he can knock down a couple threes, awesome. Are you guys buying any Jordan Wara stock with what you've seen from him with the Raptors so far? As far as getting more minutes and also being able to put up numbers. Hell yeah. There's a big difference between being able to put up numbers though. And you're putting up numbers in a way that I think you can have an NBA career. I think that his NBA career will exist beyond this season. Okay. Do I think that he's the guy who goes from like, second draftee to like the guy who's getting like three-year deals and stuff like that probably not but even when i did like this big breakdown on the trade when he when wara comes over caitlin cooper talked about because who else would know his game better and and i talked about with lewis who is the bucks writer yeah. who covered the end of his yeah, we've got jordan wara tape <laughs> yeah we have jordan wara tape it's not that good but there's utility there and in a similar sense to and my apologies to gary Trent jr but there's a vacuum of certain skills on the Raptors over the past couple seasons that elevates his skills to more important and makes the team, it behooves them to kind of paper over his limitations and allow for them. Well, we hear it all the time. You know, Gary Trent has to start. You know, the starting lineup needs it more. By the way, I ran some numbers the other day because I'm so tired of hearing Gary Trent's better as a starter. Every Nerd. player in the NBA is Every player in the NBA is better as a starter because they play with better players and get less defensive attention. Yeah. Um, among the players who have come off the bench and started this year, uh, while they come off the bench, they're just shy of 36% on threes. And when they start, they're over 37.5%. So wow. there's like like league-wide, if you are a guy swinging roll to roll, you're going to shoot better as a starter because nobody's paying attention to you right. the way they are off the bench. Anyway, what you're saying here is Gary Trent, because of the shooting skill, had outsized importance to the Raptors the last few years relative to his actual overall skill level. There's a potential path like that with Jordan Moore where he's a 6'8 guy who can shoot. Sure. Water in the desert. Is that kind of what you're, yeah, you're yeah, trying no, to get that, at that's, here? Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's water in the desert is what I would say. Okay. It's like when you find something that is so desperately missing from this team. And, and I, like last night, there were some moments where he had a couple of nice passes in the pick and roll. He had that like strong side cut pass to Scotty for the layup. He had the nice little pocket pass to Bruce Brown when they like showed two in the pick and roll. Like there's like the Raptors, and this sort of applies to RJ Barrett too in the sense that his – playmaking, his ball handling ability was so different than what OG Ananobi brought that it was like, oh, this is completely new. We would like this on the team. And I think that's what Wara is too. And in a smaller, whatever it is, like role, finite, I don't know what amount of minutes you would expect for the rest of the season, but like 30. 30. Yeah, I mean, hey, if you're going to put up 24, (laughs) 9, and 6, I will look past some of the more interesting decisions that you make on your way to 24, nine and six. Kalen talked about this with the Pacers, how they had very specific roles for him and a very specific play that they would run for him while he was on the court. And it involved him having room to be a pull-up shooter involved him making proactive reads off of a screen and involved very specific spacing set around him. And in that role, 
he did okay. It's just the the guardrails were on completely, mm-hmm. and you're just leaning into a guy and saying, this isn't total freedom yeah. to do whatever you want, but this is a very specific thing we're asking you to do. And given his skill set, which he immediately comes onto a Raptors team, which has been fledgling in its ability to pull up for three. Even the guys who do pull up for three have no juice is like to go up and like dunk. Mm-hmm. We see a couple of those things calcify in his game and in specific uses, there's obviously like he can be good there. So how often they're able to set the terms and conditions for which he succeeds, I'm not sure. And how much just a hot shooting night kind of allows for that. Yeah, I was we'll going to say also. He, although he was seven for 16. It's not like he was lethally yeah, efficient. That's, it was, hey, it was that's the Hawks lethally defense, efficient. Man. The Hawks yeah. defense is like 28th in the league. Yeah. Like they just gave up to 73 to Luka. An awful lot for yeah. Jordan Wara. I don't know. Um, as on the defensive side, do you, do you see enough there? I know he doesn't rep, has a re, have a reputation of being good, yeah. but you know he did make that heady play against Trey late. He had a couple yeah. okay uh, like steals and transitions. Yeah, type of thing. like is yeah. is there enough there? He's big, like yeah. he's a big body, and I think that's useful when you're lacking big bodies now. I mean, like Precious. Is it's gone so from funny the team. how quickly that's it's, changed. It's eh? completely it's flipped on its head now. Um, and with no Precious, no OG, obviously no Pascal, and now no Jakob for however long, it's you need guys who can provide a little bit of size, um, not only at the point of attack, but also just being a guy who can, like I said, innings eater with a couple of these, you know, bigger stars. It's like, hey, just guard whoever on this possession and, you know, go from there. I think there's, there's like, my question is, what do they have to lose? Like, yeah, I mean, nothing point, what the rest is, of the way. Right. The right. games. <laughs> yeah. But when, that's wins okay. Wins lessons. Because yeah. <laughs> as, as Blake, you know, alluded to, what he saw, what you've seen, what I've seen, is the immediate reaction. Everyone's gassed. They're like, we played good basketball right. and yeah. we lost. Yeah. Elite outcome, which it, to me, I, I get it. It seems crazy to say, but like I get it. Yeah, at so, this point, I don't like yeah. it, yeah. but I understand it yeah, exactly. Um, and again, well, we, you can get into whether you actually want the pick to convey or not, and maybe the anyway. There's a <sighs> there's a whole mess of a situation's got to be real bad for me to not like the multi layered conditional probabilities that we have to go through. Um, it, it's a lot. Uh, so in terms of uh, just having some size and just filling a role, eating some innings as a, a long man out of the bullpen per se, yeah. uh, Jonte Porter looked good again last night. He'd had a couple rough ones in a row, whether that's being overextended as a, as a starter, perhaps, um, you know, the eye poke that he suffered w- was bothering him. Also, you're a G League call up. You're going to have some bad games. Yeah. But I, I thought yesterday he looked a lot in, in a much more suitable role. Once again, coming off of the bench, kind of working in those bench units, you see the passing and the IQ there. Um, is, is he still a guy that, that you guys are both high on as a potential, you know, future bench piece or, or did those couple of Freddie Gillespie games uh, turn you off a little bit? I was going to say, <laughs> I've been waiting kind of consistently to see if he meets the Freddie Gillespie, like career high, which I think is 13 points. And okay. he still hasn't cleared. I'm waiting for him to clear that. Yeah, he's been at 12 a couple times. Right? Twice now, yeah. I think. Yeah. And so I'm waiting for that to happen. But also, if you want to know if a G League guy is good or can hang around, you go to Blake Murphy's written <laughs> pieces and see if he was interested in a G League guy. Yeah. And Jonte got a big feature. So to yeah. me, it feels like he's going to get a second contract. I, uh, Nepotism I w- maybe with Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to do this to you, but uh, Freddie Gillespie's career high was 11. Oh. So Jonte's topped it now. He Trey, passed. I'm talking to you, buddy. I said this was going to happen. I thought it was 13. That's yeah. great. It says 11 on basketball reference. He's locked so. in. Yeah. Second contract. And that includes, uh, you know, the game where he played some small forward alongside Kim Birch and Aaron <laughs> Baines, uh, which last night kind of had like the vibes of yeah. just like with so many pieces uh, being out. 
we're burying the lead a little bit here. I think the headline item from last night's game was that it's probably the best Grady Dix looked in an NBA game, at least since very, very early in the season. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk more about how Grady Dick looked. We'll talk about, you know, kind of what we're hinting at here. What do you want out of the rest of the season? What are the things we're looking at most game to game um, if the wins and losses uh, don't matter? So you guys will stick around. We'll be back after the break. You've been listening to The Raptor Show, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Breaking down the top stories in the NHL every day. The Jeff Mary Show. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network, brought to you by Campbell's new chunky spicy soup. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy. We'll loo off today. Samson and S still with me here. Uh, Raptors lose yesterday. We kicked around some of the... B storylines, but I think the A storyline from this game is that Grady Dick played 25 minutes. He played very, very solid. The Raptors actually won his 25 minutes by 19 points. Uh, he finished wow. the game with 15 points, five rebounds, three assists, and uh, a very big steal that nearly helped them uh, win the game and got him a nice little forehead kiss. Um, obviously, the first thing that people are going to look at in any Grady Dick stat line and any Grady Dick performance is the three-point shooting, and he shot three of five on threes. That's really great. That is an important thing for him to have NBA utility now and long-term. If he's going to justify being the number 13 pick, if he's going to grow into a player that matters for where the Raptors are headed, he's going to have to do more than just shoot threes. And Samson and S, I know that that's something you guys have looked closely at over the course of the year, even coming into the league at draft time. Samson, I remember you and I went on a walk and you kind of gave me the Grady Dick sales pitch. Um, things have not gone well, and even his G League time has been... Uh, a little up and down, but what are you guys seeing lately since he, he came back up since he got his LA fitness membership? Uh, sure. time Cardio. In. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. 10 of 21 over his last 21 threes, right? Okay. That sounds, I think, I think that's correct. It might, it's in the ballpark. If it isn't, maybe right. I fudge the numbers, but he's been shooting the three pretty well. It is kind of funny that he is a player who, when I was at summer league and I talked to him, the first conversation I had with Grady Dick was about conditioning okay. about the larger NBA floor. And that's something I heard about draft workouts too, is that like conditioning was a part or it was affecting him running through like NBA level stuff. And, and man, for, for people who don't know, these draft workouts, like they're, they're what you'd expect where like guys are going through shooting drills, you're playing some one-on-one -on -one or three-on-three -three and stuff like that. But the end and the Raptors for years would let us catch the end of these draft workouts while we were waiting to talk to a player or, or Jama Malalela or, or Dan Tolzman or whoever it was. And I like... The 2015 to 2017 era, I lived there. I was at all of these things. And what you would uh, what you would see is at the end of all of these things, there would be some sort of exercise to try to grind the guy down and see where his conditioning is, if he gets sloppy, what happens mentally and stuff. And guys would like, like I would take it and the team would seem to take it as like a big plus if a guy did really, really well on the like, hey, there are two minutes on the clock. You're sprinting floor to floor catch like the, the transition catch wing three and then back and then back and then back there there were some some years where you're picking up balls off the ground and dunking them like it's a more of a big man drill and like if you have enough in the tank at the buzzer for like a 360 or a windmill or something like that big thumbs up so it is it is something these teams weigh pretty heavily in terms that of NBA readiness. just that, listening to it i went when i was doing like id camps for my own stuff there was a drill they do at the end where you do a chest pass and push up and you do that for three minutes straight mm -hmm. insane but they, they did a, an open gym clip for Scotty. Yeah. Get the ball. 
dunk, get the ball, dunk, get like the ball, dunk. it up off the Exactly, yeah. and there was so much explosion there, if that means something to the Raptors. But this Grady stuff wasn't even just with the Raptors. No, this it was is with the other buzz around the NBA, yeah. As well, and so with a guy who has a lot of, is a great shooter, has a lot of motion to his shot, when you're getting tired, things can get out of whack or like kind of like sloppy as far as the, the, the mechanics of your jumper quickly. And as he adjusts, because he's so young for entering the NBA, I know he has like, he, he seems mature. He's, like, very aware of himself. He's confident. He's, like, I like Grady a lot, but he's very young and has, like, a young body and is getting used to the rigors of the NBA and all that kind of stuff. He has to get to that level. And it seems like he's coming along quickly at this point. Yeah. And it seems like, you know, this is what everybody here has talked about so much. Grady is a guy who does these multiplicative things that work tremendously well to help other players on the court. He shapes to the ball tremendously. He has a great feel for the game, where to be, what to do. The extra plays he's able to create as just an offensive rebounder, as like a, an athletic, and let's say not as athletic as some other guy's wing, using his size just with reads, and doing all that kind of stuff. If he hits the threes, the connective passing can pop, yep. the rebounding can pop, how he spaces the floor with his gravity as a cutter and as just a guy standing in the corner, all that stuff can pop. And that stuff has been there the whole time. And it shows better at the NBA level than it does at the G League level. To your point about starting versus bench, you shoot better, sure, but you just, like, you get to enhance better players' games. And that's what Grady is. He's an enhancer. So once the shot starts falling, which it has been lately, he gets to start enhancing things, which is great. It's fantastic. Man, if he's an enhancer, Tristan Thompson is going to be calling any day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People, people always bring up the the Duncan Robinson comp. Yeah. Uh, for for Grady, and I think it's funny because like Duncan had to work what three, four years, five years maybe to get some of these ancillary. He was skills. trying to get our job. Right. Yeah. He was trying to podcast. Um, and it's funny because he literally this year has become a better playmaker. Mm-hmm. Has been a guy who can put the ball down on the floor. But Grady at twenty. Is doing that type of stuff, and, and Duncan Robinson had to go the the low, yeah, the low major route, and then transfer, and then do three years at a major program, and then enter the NBA with these same shortcomings and, and right. things like that. Now, shot a little better from from day Perfect. one, and, and look, I think people make the comparison for not the greatest reasons, yeah. but there is something to at least they both have size. So when you're trying to translate the shooting, can you get your shot off? Can you manipulate space enough to get open? Like like one of the things Matt Thomas ran into, it's like he's a better shooter than anyone pretty much that I've ever seen other than Steph Curry, but he didn't have the size or the ability to get himself open. Like, yeah. like what made JJ Redick such a phenomenal NBA player for that role was like his ability to navigate screens and then that push ahead dribble that he kind of innovated to like i'm coming off the catch this should be a catch and shoot but i gotta take one space clearing dribble because otherwise i'm not getting clear enough great yeah. can hit this. that by the way yeah yeah, yeah. he um, almost hit it the, the yesterday like yeah we've that. seen him hit it as a raptor mm-hmm. he did yeah. it against the 76ers kelly Oubre jr had a dig down and he pulled up in his face after clearing nice. tobias harris chasing on the curl so nice. like he can do that we just have to wait for it to happen more consistently yeah yeah, and I mean, look, it's getting there, right? So I guess um, where we're at with Grady Dick, and it's tough because like I've watched all the G League games, and he doesn't, he hasn't looked good down there. Like even if it it was tracking in the right direction, his last couple games down there were some of his best, but it still didn't look like he was ready for NBA rotation. It's certainly at the defensive end where even down there they're giving him a lot of help. Can I ask you? Okay, yeah. so even if it doesn't look good, this is something I've been wondering. Just the actual reps of it, just the working it out, playing whatever, 30 minutes yeah. a game. 
how much more beneficial is that? It's huge. It when, when you're talking about a guy who, you know, the team is openly saying like, yeah, his conditioning is not at an NBA yeah. rotation level. Like that, that is a big part of it. And, and what I was going to ask you guys next is what your appetite is for him seeing more time down there. Like he's on this road trip with the Raptors. He's not going to play with the 905 anytime in the next little bit. I think he's in the NBA rotation. Yeah. Um, but if 25, the 25 minutes he got yesterday was more like 13, 14 at times when say, um, I, IQ and RJ and Jakob are all healthy and there are fewer minutes to go around. Uh, even though those guys aren't playing the same role, there's there's just only so many minutes. Um, you know, that it's tough because you're dropping him into a G League situation that is not ideal for what he does. And, you know, they've got better point guard play now. Uh, Marquise Noel, who, by the way, uh, made the G League next up game at All-Star Weekend. Congrats. I uh, hope your hamstring is better in time for you to play in that. Um, but they've got a friend of the show, Kyra Lewis Jr. down there now as well. Uh, Javon's down there. So, so you know, real point guard play and stuff like that. Um, but I guess to, to kind of pivot to our, our main topic of this segment, what are you guys looking for from the rest of the season on a game-to-game -game basis? If, if we acknowledge that maybe outcomes matter, but they, they matter differently to different people depending on your preferences, um, you know, how high does what Grady's doing the rest of the way rank for you in terms of, the most important things you're watching for day-to-day -day the rest of the AS? Ooh, probably second. Um, Scotty at the I top. I think Scotty yeah. is at the top just because, and we sort of touched on this earlier, but the scouting report, he is page number one now, mm -hmm. right? And dealing with the different coverages, there was a quote like a really long time ago from Damian Lillard, you know, famously one rookie of the year, but he was like, it took me four or five years to learn how guys were guarding me and just getting used to the different pick-and-roll coverages, off-ball, how guys are guarding me, what I'm supposed to do, and I think when you're that number one option for a team, a guy who's going to inevitably lead this team to whatever phase they are next, you got to be able to get used to the different coverages. Last night against the Hawks, they were showing two constantly in the post. And then in the second half, he started to adjust and figure it out. So, Scotty, number one, it's like, how are you going to deal with the different coverages? And also, what's the evolutionary process of, like, the different quirks you pick up knowing these types of coverages are going to be out there, whether it's drop, whether it's, like, you know, switching, whatever, right? Uh, so that's probably number one for me. And then, yeah, Grady. Probably IQ and Grady are like, you know, maybe neck and neck. You okay. could maybe argue that IQ is more important in the long run. I don't know. My I, thought on that is I, I think I would have IQ higher because you got to make a pretty big financial decision on him sure. this summer. Yeah. Whereas Grady, you know you're committed to this for three, four years. Right. Like, it's it's obviously very, very important and shapes what your rotation Plus the connection with Scotty and all that. Yeah, right? yeah. Um. But you got an IQ decision coming pretty soon. How do you feel about the the what which individually is most important? I would lean Emmanuel just okay. for what you said. Like Malachi got his fourth year guaranteed before the third year started. Like yeah. Grady is here for a while, and Emmanuel, I really you know I was asking about like convey or not convey. I know we'll have that conversation mm -hmm. a little bit later. And someone asked me like, what's your stance? I said, give me ten games post trade deadline. I'll have a hard stance for yeah. you on which I think it should be. And I say that largely because I want to see Emmanuel quickly with more reps with Yaka Pirtle. Mm -hmm. I want to see what he looks like when he has a, you know, a dependable screen setter. Here's the bad news. The Raptors are destined to always only have Yaka Pirtle or a point guard who can play pick and roll. <laughs> never Whack shall the two meet. <laughs> never, yeah. Never twain shall they meet. Yes. Yeah, that's the Shakespeareism. But that's kind of what I'm waiting for because yeah. we've seen Emmanuel quickly bring his jump shot to yeah. Toronto, the thing that was expected of him. We've seen him shoot less than 40% within the arc. And a lot of that is kind of what I talked to Eric Spolster about is like, 
How do you get guards to take the extra dribble on the? <laughs> how do you get guards to take the extra dribble on the inside? And what he said worried me a little bit because I, you know, prefaced it with like, you have Jimmy, you have Kyle, who are some of the best ever to maintain a dribble in the lane and manipulate comfortably from that point. And he said, we try to teach that, but it's really hard. It might just be like a feature of a guy's game that he brings to the NBA floor. And Emmanuel quickly is a guy who desperately needs the extra dribble. The reason why he's not finishing well at the rim is largely because he's taking off from so far. He gets bumped in air. It's easier for guys to time you up when you start your, like you start the gather. The the help side rim protectors can step with you and meet you places. You have to go for more high finishes. If you have that last dribble, not only is if you pick it up, your pivot point deeper in the floor, you can bring low help side defenders closer to you, leading to more drop-offs. Everyone, Raptors fans, you've seen Kyle Lowry. You know what that looks like. (laughs) Um, Gnashing the pick and roll, extending plays, creating like these reverse playmaking opportunities. That's what I want to see from Emmanuel. And I know it's a lot because that's never been part of his game to be like, you're in Toronto for three weeks. Maybe Mm -hmm. that's something you do. Because it's what Eric Spolster said. If you pick up your dribble early, you can get swallowed up in the NBA. So I'm waiting to see more divergent paths of playmaking from him that help open up, let's say, more comfortable finishing. Mm-hmm. I think for him, it's three-point shooting is the hub of everything he's do- he does and his motion as a shooter. But what I really want to see is for him to be more dangerous as a live dribble playmaker so that teams, if he has a good roller, if he has Scotty Barnes, if he has R.J. Barrett for like a blade cut or something like that, you can manipulate with the threat of that playmaking to kind of like work your way downhill into that comfortable floater range after a short pickup rather than a long one. I just like the playmaking, I want to see it. And you need Pirtle because he's not getting yeah. clearance from like Jonte Porter and Thad Young screens right now. Yeah. Some um, of his blade best. cut. I'm glad we're finally naming these things cool things. We got the stampede <laughs> cut and the blade cut. Enough of this 45 yeah. stuff. Yeah, UCLA. No, blade, stampede. We need aggressive cut names. That's yeah. right. Uh, sorry, yes, I cut you. No, no, no. I was, okay, so I have a number here for you guys, okay? This is on-off on off numbers okay. are always finicky. Yeah. And IQ, He's it's very early into his career. So, like, take this all with a boulder of salt, right? But two-man pairings with IQ and pretty much every other starter, every single one of them have been negative other than Jakob Pertl. Jakob Pertl plus 11, everybody else like minus 5, minus 10, whatever. And this is whatever you think of Pertl's season, and he had a rough stretch there where, you know, there was talk of him maybe not even... Yeah, Yeah. he he has this on-off impact with just about everyone, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. We have, once after years of figuring out that big men are important, we have once again found (laughs) our way to big men are important. And that's, I'm like, I'm a fan of Jakob on this team. Even into the future, I know people have their hangups or whatever, but like, developmentally having a guy who you can actually it. give you clearance for downhill reps. Yeah. Developing by playing a way that you will want to play once you're developed yeah. is important. It's yeah. uh look, I, I, I appreciated the creativity of, of the prior era here and like trying a lot of new things and, and not, you know, after the Aaron Baines, Alex Len experiment going, you know what, if we can't find the center, yeah. let's not even bother. Let's do different stuff. It's, uh, now, not three picks and a four-year, $78 million contract level of finally, but yeah, it's it's the good cat, to have a center. The cat's out the bag. Yeah. Like, it, it's happened. He's here. I don't, like, he has said, I'm not interested in being on a tanking team. I'm not sure what the optics are in-house with his conversations versus, right. like, commentary outside of it. Yeah. But it's it's very important to have a guy who can give you the reps, as you said, to be doing the things you're meant to be doing. 
Like this is something we talked about with Scotty, myself, you, and Will at the start of the season. When I looked at all of his pick and roll plays, I'm noticing only Yaka Pertl and Christian Coloco are able to like plant screens for him, which means that Scotty is basically running isolations repeatedly yeah. for his pick and, and roll. And Jonte sets good screens, but he's not enough of a threat yet for other teams to really respect exactly. it, right? Yeah. So it's like it doesn't. You can set it hard, but it's like when I set screens, which which you know is like, yeah, it doesn't. It frees you for like a second, and then both defenders are like, oh, we don't have to worry about that. When I when I lived with you and you'd corner me, yeah. you know, yeah, it was tough to get around things. Yeah. Um, but that's that's kind of the point, right? Is like having Jakob there not only for Emmanuel quickly to get him downhill reps, where his rep is now coming, seeing a defense in rotation, and that's the most important one because you can run standstill reps in practice and all that kind of stuff, but seeing how they respond is like the second action from the defense is paramount to succeeding. And that's even for Scotty as well, who succeeded way more in the pick and roll. And when I asked him about it and was like, is there anything you're changing? He says, and it doesn't have to be the truth. It doesn't have to be whatever, but he says it's reps. Yeah. So if it's reps and you're getting more reps with Jakob Pertl and getting yeah. downhill, I getting mean, we to know how ma- We know roughly how mapping works, right? Like your, your brain kind of piecing yeah. all these right. disparate examples together to, to give you a chunking. guide. Yeah, chunking. <laughs> there you go. The neuroscientifical yeah. term, chunking, for when you've seen something so many times that your brain kind of like skips steps yeah. to give you the answer for what it should be quicker. Yeah. It's a great plug for chunky, by the way. You yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Just want to bring that up. Uh, okay, we've only got five minutes left, so we're going to go a little more rapid fire with these. Uh, S, uh, Bruce Brown, outside of that first game, has not uh, fit particularly well. Is yeah, this... Quiet quitting, or is this quiet him actually wanting to stay <laughs> and just like lowering the value oh, a little bit, uh, nice. so that uh, you know, hey, oh well, two two firsts aren't on the table anymore. We uh, may as well keep them. Right. Bruce Brown is the type of player that will excel on a very very good team. Mm-hmm. That's why he was so important to the Nuggets, where it's like you plug and play him next to Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic, and he's just like he can do everything. The little bit, the little king, little things king, right? When it comes to the different things he can do, but when you throw him on a team that's developing like we've talked about for the most part today and how they're just trying to work through the kinks of things throwing in a bruce brown who yesterday had a pretty bad possession trying to be like a pick and roll initiator settled into a floater and it's like ah i don't know if that's the game that he's trying to play here i don't know i think it's partially you know one part not the right team and not the right timing but also Probably a little bit of quiet quitting, too. <laughs> it's just awkward. Uh, okay, Samson, on Saturday, you came over to my place. I shout out to Cabanos, by the way. It's my favorite burger spot in the city, and they hooked us up with a ton of stuff for the Royal Rumble, Fire. which we watched on Sportsnet+. Plus. This was really your first introduction to uh, major wrestling, uh, and, of course, you'll watch Monday Night Raw tonight on Sportsnet 360 <laughs> yes. to follow it up. What were your first Royal Rumble impressions? Okay, really fantastic athletes. I think over the course of it, I enjoyed the women's rumble more okay. than the men's rumble. To be honest, I mean honest the closing with, with Jade Cargill debuting and stuff was really was really and cool. And it was like the Bianca and Jade moment, yeah. right? That was cool. It seemed like yeah. I don't know theatrical, I suppose, yeah. which I is mean, the that's whole what that's it is. The, yeah. It's pageantry. Yeah. yeah. Um, I thought I don't know if there's like big CM Punk fans. I thought he disappointed at the end. Like he got tired. He's old, man. Like that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was like, Grady is too young for NBA, <laughs> and CM Punk <laughs> is like too old. I was like, if this is the end. And, like, just, like, he threw the guy over. I think I was expecting something big. Like, I was expecting mm-hmm. them to, like, meet in the middle yeah. and a guy to, like, throw the guy over. Because I know you, yeah. but they're human beings. They maybe could get hurt. <laughs> so maybe that shouldn't be the expectation. But just, like, lopping a guy over the edge, I was like, ooh. But there was some stuff that happened. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah. 
A good yeah. debut uh, for Braun Breaker, who, uh, if anyone knows the Steiner brothers from back in the day, uh, he is uh, the next generation He's Steiner brother. He, he, yeah. he and the guy whose name was, like, not a name, but a thing, he kept spearing everybody. He had the green pants. He was awesome. Okay. I don't remember who the green pants were, but Braun Breaker was Braun the guy Breaker, spearing everybody. Braun Breaker yeah. was really good, and the other guy was fantastic. They like, yeah. I really love the athleticism of it. It kind of blows my mind. Is Kofi time. Kingston still? He was there. He was there. Hell yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't have a great showing. Uh, yeah. There was also, to tie this back to basketball, uh, Omos, who is uh, the Nigerian giant, who actually came to the U.S. initially as part of, like, through Giants of Africa as Would a basketball prospect, and basketball didn't work out. He's now in the WWE, and he was in the Royal Rumble. Uh, as yeah. Masai will not like this, but I constantly refer to him on Twitter as Masai's favorite wrestler. Um, <laughs> uh, I actually, it's the one way I've gotten to talk to Masai one-on-one is doing a, a feature on Omos. Uh, quickly, before we go here, uh, Raptors Republic three-on-three tournament, March 30th. Raptors Republic live event at the Rivoli next week, uh, February 6th. Um, which of those is bigger in your mind, S? Oh man, the three on three tournament because yeah. I didn't really get to play much in the other one. You I don't was, get a lot of you don't get a lot of touches in the, I didn't the get live the event. Usage I was looking for. Right. So yeah, give me yeah three on three. Samson tournament. keeping you out of the offense at the at the live event. I'm a, a tyrant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the, the live event I think will be awesome. It's William Liu, Blake Murphy, Lindsey Dunn, Esfandiar Barhani, Trevon Heath, myself, Lewis Satsman. Brandon Leftwich, the coach from the Brandon 905 Leftwich as well, right? Who I always almost call Byron Leftwich because I'm a Jaguars fan, and that was my that was I uh, said that quarterback once. for me. I yeah. think on a live stream. But, yeah, there's a whole host of people, and it'll be, like, a super fun night. Last year we sold it out, and it's a great way to meet people who love the Raptors a yeah. bunch. And it's a great way, if you like the work that we do and you want to just, like, chop it up, uh, people seemed interested in that last year. Cool way to do that. Which, hopefully, they will do more of over at Raptors Republic. Uh, Samson Folk, S. Thanks for coming on, guys. Of really, really appreciate it. Um, Convey yeah. the pick. Convey the pick now? Yes. Okay. Uh, well, that's a combo for another day <laughs> that we'll get into a little more uh, intently. People pretty split on that one. Make sure you check out all Samson and S's great work. Uh, everyone's great work over at Raptors Republic. Uh, they produce people like me and Will also. Uh, we're going to take a break. On the other side, we're going to talk to Brittany Donaldson, coach for uh, the Atlanta Hawks. We're going to talk to Dakias Duncan, and we're going to talk to Kyra Lewis Jr. of the Raptors and Raptors 905. You've been listening to The Raptors Show, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptors show. Uh, I'm Blake Murphy. Will Lou off today. A little Chad Price, a little Canadian content for you. Uh, love song radio version uh, as we come back there. I know on the podcast and on the TV side, you can't hear it, but it's a nice song. Uh, we are joined now by Brittany Donaldson, assistant coach and director of coaching development at the Atlanta Hawks, co-founder of Strat Athletics, formerly uh, Toronto Raptors, you know, formerly a friend I could go get a beer with around here. She, she's left us. She digs it in by, by taking two or three against the Raptors. Brittany, how are you? I'm good, Blake. Thanks for having me on. Um, Got to ask, before we get into your stuff, today is Marc Gasol's birthday. Is you on the, uh, on the bus with Marc Gasol during the championship parade? Like, how high does that rank for you in terms of career memories? Oh man, I didn't know that was his birthday today. Thanks for telling me. I'll have to text him. <laughs> um, that's definitely top three memory. I uh, I have a lot of fond memories from that day, but being on bus five with Mark, that's top tier. Do you think 
do you think that ranks in Mark's memories or does he not remember it? <laughs> That's a good question. You'd have to ask him. He had a couple parades that year, if I uh, remember correctly. So I'm yeah. not sure where that ranks for him, but I'm sure it's pretty high. Uh, he sure did. Uh, so, Brittany, you uh, were here in Toronto. You, you had a stop in Detroit with the Pistons as well. You, you co-founded Strat Athletics. But you're back in the NBA. You're with the Atlanta Hawks as uh, not only assistant coach, but director of coaching development there under Quinn Snyder. H how has this season been for you? How has the return uh, to an NBA bench been for you? It's been great. Um, I really enjoy working for Coach Snyder. Um, I've learned so much from him, even just in the short amount of time that I've been with him. Um, the city of Atlanta has been been great. Um, I just feel really embraced by the organization and the city, and I'm really grateful to be here. Um, so a couple weeks ago, Quince, you guys were here, and we got to catch up, and I asked Quinn Snyder about um, what you've been able to c contribute to his staff, and, and I know you get to hear those comments um, how, how was that to, to hear and, and how accurate is that in terms of just how well the, the fit has gone and how you've been able to kind of find your way to helping not just the players on the team, but the other coaches as well. Yeah. Um, that was really humbling to hear. It was really cool to hear. I appreciate him saying that, uh, about me and, and about our organization. I feel again, really grateful to be a part of it. Um, I think one of the funnest parts of working for Quinn is, I think he's really, really good at identifying everybody's, you know, skill sets, strengths, and then utilizing him as such, whether that's his players or his coaches on his staff. Um, so he really empowers me to do the things that I'm good at. And those things happen to be really fun for me. So, um, yeah, I'm really grateful to be in a situation where I can, you know, show up as fully myself and bring my skill set to work every day and ho hopefully help, you know, both players and coaches along the way. So that skill set, for those who don't know, and I want to go a little through a little bit of your career history, um, you're a hooper first, like some records still at University of Northern Iowa for, for three-point shooting. Like, like we've seen the footage, we've seen the highlights, we've seen the stats. Um, but while you were there, you, you get a degree in statistics and actuarial sciences. And I actually don't know if I've ever asked you this even like personally, was your thinking in doing that on the education side while you played ball was the idea to eventually find a way into sports using that that data background yeah honestly not at all um that kind of came later after graduation I, I realized after graduation that that was a career path that i could choose to go down um, with the help of a couple professors of mine um, but while I was pursuing that degree, I really didn't know what I wanted to do post-graduation. Um, I was actually an undecided major my first like year and a half in school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I just happened to choose actuarial science and statistics because I loved math. I always loved math. It came pretty easy to me. And I knew I'd be missing a lot of classes um, being on the road for basketball. So I was like, what's something that... You know, if I miss some classes and I can still keep up and get good grades and, and still enjoy and math is that for me. So I just happened to choose it. And then after graduation, I was lucky enough to stumble upon, you know, the sports analytics sort of movement that was happening. And then my professor recommended um, pursuing that path. So you ended up at, at stats, which, you know, people have seen referenced in articles forever and on broadcasts uh, through, you know, sport view tracking, if anyone's ever heard that term. And then from there, you end up in the Toronto Raptors uh, analytics department. Um, what was that move like? This was still pretty early in your career, like not that far out of college, making the move from, you know, kind of a, a league-wide stats house to moving to the team side. Um, how was that transition for you? How tough was that decision or, or how exciting was it? 
Yeah, it was really exciting. And um, shout out the Toronto Raptors organization for giving me my first NBA opportunity. Um, but yeah, you know, going from being on more of the product side of the operation. So um, both making sure that the data is corrected or collected correctly and clean. And then also, you know, creating custom reports for most of the teams around the league. Um, that, that, that was really fun for me, especially at, you know, 21, 22, just out of college. Um, I'm going to work and like creating reports for the Golden State Warriors about Steph Curry. You know, it was just a really, really, <laughs> I don't know, mind boggling time for me fresh out of school. Um, but I always wondered when I would get those sort of requests from teams, like, I wonder, you know, what the conversations were like leading up to this request or this question, or what's the context around this question. And furthermore, if I were to give them a report, what are they doing with it? I always kind of wanted to know what was happening behind the scenes, as fun as it was to to create those reports for them. So transitioning to the the team side was really fun for me because now I got a front row seat to the discussions that were happening and what you know prompted these types of questions and these types of analysis um, and then further i could help guide those questions in those discussions and say hey maybe this wasn't the right question to ask maybe this is the data we should be looking at and you know just have a closer look into all of that it's, it was a lot of fun so after a couple of years in that analytics department you moved to the coaching staff and, and you know as i guess an extension of that analytics department but also leaning back on your your basketball background and I know you've told me and kind of said publicly before that getting on the court and you know being like physically interacting interacting one-on-one with players that is kind of where things really clicked for you um how was that transition office to to coaching staff and why do you think that is that that just you you know you seem to kind of really quickly be like oh this is it I'm back on the court and yeah I've got my my data side but this is where I'm meant to be on the court yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think when I first started with the Raptors, like you mentioned, I was in the front office as a data analyst, but I was still supporting the coaching staff in a lot of ways. So a lot of the work I would do is directly for the coaching staff. So I got to make connections early on with members of the coaching staff and get to spend time with them. And, and two guys that come to mind that are still there, uh, Jim San, Jamma Malalela, like they were just amazing with me my first couple years as a data analyst, they would oftentimes invite me to practice, invite me to workouts, just if I wanted to rebound or pass, or, you know, just get a little more involved on the court. And that's kind of what sparked my interest. And I guess brought clarity to me that, oh, maybe I, maybe I enjoy it out here more than I thought I would. Um, until, you know, I got those invites from those people. I don't know if I really knew if coaching was a viable path for me, but um, so, so shout out to those two guys in particular. Um, but I think, you know, being a former player, um, having gone through, you know, I obviously didn't play in the NBA, but I played at a high level. So having gone through similar situations as some of these players go through on a day to day basis, on a season to season basis, I think just empathizing with that and understanding that these players are, you know, fully human and, you know, <laughs> have complicated, complex emotions, lives, all of these things. They're not just dots on a page or, you know, they're not just robots um, that we're telling them what to do and they go do it. You know, they're very complex human beings. I think understanding that and getting up close and personal with them in those relationships and building those relationships um, was something that brought me a lot of joy. And so, um, yeah, I think it just kind of felt like a natural fit once I was around them more and more. That's great. I'm, I'm glad you you found that spot. Um, 
in a couple of weeks here, you're going to be at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. It's March 1st to 2nd. For, for anyone who doesn't know what this is, it's like the biggest annual basketball data conference, but also like the biggest basketball, one of the biggest basketball networking events. A lot of front office people, a lot of people on the you know product side, as you, as you called it, Brittany. Um, so you're going to be uh, a speaker at, at this. Um, I mean, how I, I have more specific questions, but how does that feel generally? Like th- this... It feels like it would be very, very cool given your background and your path to this point. Yeah, it feels crazy, to be honest. Um, as I mentioned, you know, I wasn't aware of this sports analytics sort of industry until after I graduated from school. And, and one of the first things I came across is I was doing some research of like, how do I get my foot in the door? I don't really know where to start was the, the Sloan Analytics Conference. And so um, you know, having attended the conference, you know, three or four times and just made connections there and, and seeing people on these panels that I just admire and, and learn so much from um, now having the opportunity to to be one of those people on these panels and, and give back in the way that I was given to as far as insights and connections. Um, I'm just really excited and really honored. So it's been, I think, almost nine years since you, you graduated UNI and kind of went down the sports path. Um, when you look at yeah, and maybe this is a better question for after Sloan because I'd imagine there will be a lot of women who are either in the, in the industry or trying to get in the industry who want to chat with you and pick your brain. Um, and I know you didn't have this goal necessarily in mind initially, but when you survey the landscape and where we are in the NBA, where we are in sports in general, do you feel like we've made decent enough progress in terms of, hey, there are more paths to being involved in sport for women and particularly women athletes? Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'm very excited with the progress that's been made. I, I think there's a ways to go still. And, you know, there might always will be um, more, more, you know, ground to be made. But I'm very excited and I, you know, very intentional about being a part of that movement in any way I can and just creating more exposure for women um, and just letting them know that, like, yeah, there are multiple ways you can enter into the sports industry. You don't have to be a former player. If you are, that's amazing. Um, but if you're interested and you're passionate enough, um, there is a spot for you. And, yeah, I'm just I'm really excited to see where we continue to go. Uh, last one before I let you go, Brittany, our pal Ryan Schmidt, also formerly of the Raptors organization, coaching the heck out of that College Park Skyhawks team, your, your G League affiliate there in first place right now. Um, you taking a little bit of credit if he does this thing in the in the sky? Like, like he learned a lot from you over the years, right? CBL staff together, 905 staff together. Like he's he's taken from the Brittany Donaldson playbook for the Skyhawks team. <laughs> no, I'm not going to take any credit for that. I mean, Ryan's Ryan's elite. I'm so happy that we have him down in Atlanta and that I can watch him cl- uh, coach up close again. Um, it's so much fun watching his team. I, I caught their game a couple nights ago, and every time I go, I, I text him afterwards. I'm like, man, you guys are so fun to watch. So, um, yeah, just super proud of him. Uh, speaking of fun to watch, you guys have uh, the Lakers, Suns, Warriors, and Clippers uh, on this homestand, so I should let you go. you got a lot of prep for a lot of uh, big, big-name players coming in. Brittany Donaldson, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me, Blake. Great to see you. You too. Uh, Brittany Donaldson, Atlanta Hawks assistant coach and director of coaching development. Uh, really fascinating uh, career story, of course, a, a part of the Raptors organization uh, when they won the championship. She has a ring. She was on that bus with Marcus All uh, celebrating at the uh, at the parade. So uh, a lot of fun to catch up 
with Brittany there. We're going to talk uh, momentarily to Nikias Duncan now. Um, you probably know Nikias's work from Twitter. If, if you're someone who's on Twitter uh, a lot, there is the Dunker Spot podcast. We've had his co-host, Steve Jones Jr., on the show before. Uh, two of the very best in terms of breaking down you know, the X's and O's side of the game, but in a really accessible and digestible way, uh, so much so that J.J. Redick has been like, well, yeah, I need these guys on my on my pod all the time. Uh, he was on, uh, or they were on, rather, the Old Man and the Three podcast uh, the other day. So we're going to talk to uh, Nikias any moment. Oh, Nikias is there. Uh, Nikias, what's up, man? How are you? Hello, hello. Oh, he's I'm there. Doing pretty well, sir. Hey, man, uh, good to see you. Thanks for coming on with us. Uh, I got to ask, man, it's, uh, does it, it, it can't get old, right? Like JJ Reddick texts you or, or DMs you. He's like, hey, man, can you come on the pod today? The, this pod that has like a rotating cast of NBA players on, that doesn't lose its shine ever, right? Uh, no, that part doesn't get old. Uh, going into the comment section, like, hey, who is this? That part <laughs> gets a little funny. But, uh, but no, I re- it's a tremendous opportunity. I have a lot of fun. I'm very grateful to be where I'm at. Yeah, and they're, they're a lot of fun to uh, they're a lot of fun to listen to. You and Steve, obviously at the Dunker Spot, uh, do a great job as well. I, I want to do some kind of around the NBA stuff with you, but I do want a couple Raptors opinions from you. Always good to get a, an outside look, and I know it's a team you you keep an eye on uh, pretty closely. Uh, I haven't gotten to listen to the old man in the three episode yet. Did Scotty make your Eastern Conference All Star reserves? Uh, he was shortlist for me, but ultimately didn't end up making. So it. he's the Julius Randle injury replacement. He could be. He could be. I guess <laughs> okay. it depends on what the coaches decide to do with those front court spots. I think it's it's like a four or five player race in the front court. I think between Julius and Jalen and Bam, Scotty's going to be in there. Paolo's always going to be in there. So I think three of those five is going to get kind of tough because I think the wild card spots are just going to go to guards. Yeah, if I had to guess. That's uh, so I, that's the way it goes. I, I guess for an all star game, it also it's probably best for entertainment value. But I don't know, man. It's, it'd, it'd be tough to see Scotty on the outside. How, how what have you made of? of Scotty's play since the, these kind of trades with him kind of trying to take on more of the, the number one man role here with, with Pascal out. Like maybe it's just you because of the various Raptors accounts that I follow. Like, I feel like it seems to be like a lot of hand wringing over Scotty during this recent stretch for me. Like it, I guess for me as someone who isn't like a Raptors fan, like it's easy for me to kind of conceptualize, like, okay, it's going to be up and down. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, you had the possessions where Scotty's just bringing it up, and you could see the two-man combination with him and Emmanuel quickly and how they play off of each other, Scotty getting downhill, and you can kind of see what the blueprint is supposed to look like. But then there are also the quieter quarters for him and stuff. So, like, for me, I haven't really taken anything major away from it, especially since Jakob Pertl's missed so much of the time and, like, what he does as a screener in the handoff hub. I think he takes a lot of pressure off of not only Scotty, but off of RJ, off of Emmanuel. So, like, because of all the injuries and stuff, it's been kind of hard for me to have firm takes on the Scotty stretch so far. I think it's been a good year for him overall. Like, I've been encouraged by what he's seen. The three-point shooting appearing to be real feels like a very big deal, even if defenses haven't super reacted to that portion of the program yet. It's nice that he's taking them in volume. It's nice that he's taking them within rhythm. So, like, I've, it's been a fun Scotty year for me. But I I guess, you know, if you're watching every single game of his and every single minute and then going into spaces after that, that could probably get a little bit annoying. (laughs) Yeah, look, man, if you're going into spaces after every game and and relitigating the, you know, future of the franchise, it's probably going to get exhausting no matter how well he plays. Um, I'm with you. I think it's been a a really positive year. I think he's probably right on. Like you said, he's probably right on the the short list for a lot of Eastern Conference reserves, reserve ballots, uh, official and hypothetical. 
So in addition to, to Scotty, we've also gotten a, a little bit of a look at uh, IQ and RJ Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett. Um, they both missed this most recent game. Emmanuel quickly has been out for a little bit. Um, but what have you made uh, of that fit? I, I know RJ is a guy that, you know, everyone with basketball opinions has had a lot of opinions on, uh, you know, over the yeah. years, what, what exactly he could be versus should be. And how have you thought that that's looked in Toronto so far? I've enjoyed both so far. Like, I think Emmanuel, I'm keeping an eye on the defense. Like, that's something that I was a little bit higher on than my co-host Steve was. And now I'm starting to see, like, oh, snap. This I guess these are the kind of things that he's talking about with teams going at IQ a little bit more than I anticipated since he's been in Toronto. But, like, I've enjoyed the injection of pace that Emmanuel quickly has brought, both in terms of just the pure transition stuff or just getting Toronto into their stuff earlier, which I feel like has been kind of a, a consistent issue for them this year. So, like, I've enjoyed IQ. The pull-up shooting is obviously valuable for him. The way he's able to boogie off of handoffs and kind of tilt defenses in that way, I think is very important. RJ's been a revelation, man. Like I, the big thing for me, the big two things for me with RJ has been where's the shot going to land with three-point shooting when he's spaced? And how quick is he going to make whatever decision he has to make? If it is a catch-and-shoot opportunity, is he just firing great or is it going to be a catch-and-hold? If he's driving, is it going to be an immediate drive or is it going to be a catch-and-hold? The fact that he's been as decisive as he's been in Toronto has probably been the most fun I've had with watching him. So it's been nice to see that plus the defense perk up a little bit for him. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to see. And obviously, it's kind of one of the biggest things we'll, we'll focus on down the stretch here. Uh, last Raptors one before we go a little NBA wide. Uh, Nikaias, I got Kyra Lewis coming on the show next. Uh, no big, no pressure, by the way. You're, you're the setup oh, man. But are you I know he's a guy that you like. Are you still holding stock at this point? I'm still holding a little bit. Of stock. Maybe not as much stock as I had last year. I just want to see the dude play. Yeah, I just want him to just give me 20 games of he is getting at least 18 minutes and then I can have a firmer sample if I need to continue to get more stock or not. Because the New Orleans stint, because of injuries, because of who they've added to the room, he just never had a real chance to succeed or fail there by his own merit. So I'm kind of excited. That's something that Steve and I talked about on the trade episode when it first went down. I'm kind of curious to see what the Kyra minutes are going to look like if he actually gets them. So I'm still a believer. Like, I do enjoy the craft that comes off pick and roll. He's very fast, but I love that. It doesn't feel like he's going full speed in the half court. Like, that's the thing that kind of pops that you wouldn't expect for a young guard. He has the pacing down. He is kind of snake heavy. So we'll keep an eye on that, uh, especially as you try to get the front court healthier. But I I'm still a believer in Kyra. I think we're going to get some fun stuff from him. Yeah, it'd be good to chat with him in a bit. And he's going to play with the 905 Tuesday and Wednesday here to try to, you know, get those minutes back up, get the system understood. Um, pivoting off of, of the Raptors here, Nikias, uh, I mentioned Julius Randle injury replacement. The report's coming out today that he's going to miss weeks, not months, after dislocating his shoulder. Uh, I've done that before. I'm not an NBA player, but mine still clicks and stuff. So who knows? It, it could be uh, an up-and-down recovery. You had recently said that you thought that Knicks team was maybe a good bench piece away from being the second-best team in the East. Um, how can they kind of weather this Julius Randle injury? What what do things need to look like for them for them to keep up this terrific momentum they've had since the OG trade? Um, I think there's a little bit more pressure now to get that bench piece in the room. When I made that tweet, one, I was conceptualizing, I think they need another ball handler. I think they need someone else because the OG plus bench unit has been very fun. It has been absurd defensively. The offense, not so much, but they're still like a plus 20 or whatever net rating because the defense has been that good. And so I always needed, I always thought they would need another ball handler, someone that can tilt defenses, someone that can knock down some shots off the dribble. And now with Julius Randle being out, they've got to slide someone into the starting lineup. I would imagine that's going to be Josh Hart. Um, but from there, they absolutely need another creator now. Because one of the bigger questions following the OG trade was, okay, what exactly are we going to do when Jalen Brunson goes to the bench? 
Because you at least had Emmanuel quickly, had RJ Barrett, you can sprinkle those guys in with the second unit and kind of run from there. If you're taking Julius out of the equation too, they're going to have to really figure something out with the second unit when Jalen Brunson goes to the bench. So if they can combine Evan Fournier and a pick, or maybe if it's Quentin Grimes too, since there are some rumblings that he isn't super happy with the situation there, any combination of those assets to get another ball handler in the room, a Malcolm Brogdon, a Jordan Clarkson, whatever you can get there, I think that's where they should target. And so then once you bring Julius back into the fold, you're looking at a pretty complete group. Man, Jordan Clarkson Jordan Clarkson was like the ultimate Madison Square Garden Nick in theory when they were bad. Like like Jordan Clarkson <laughs> getting that triple-double or dropping 40 at MSG in like an 18-point loss, that felt like his destiny for so long. But he's, he's become <laughs> such a good version of Jordan Clarkson now. Um, the other big Raptors trade, and I said we're getting off Raptors. We're just doing all the Raptors adjacencies here. Uh, the Pacers have won three in a row. They've done that without Tyrese Halliburton. The, the, you know, obviously we're trying to evaluate Pascal Siakam's fit in Indiana without Tyrese Halliburton with the exception of one game here. Sounds like he'll be back soon. That's great. Um, and, and so we won't know exactly how those two are going to fit together for a little bit here, but the Pacers have succeeded. And even in the losses that they've had, they've played good teams pretty close. What have you made of Pascal's uh, kind of immediate impact with that Pacers team? A uh, new slash Pascal Siakam is very good at basketball. Wow. That's been, I, I can't believe it either. You know, I, I was surprised that that was going to be the outcome, but no, in all seriousness, what he adds to their early offense is terrifying considering how good Indiana's offense already is. And I think just the amount of spacing that he's seeing, not that Indiana has a ton of elite shooters, though they do have some in the room, just by virtue of how early they get up the floor, Pascal can just kind of waltz into some early post-ups and not see a whole bunch of help like he was seeing in Toronto. Like to, like Pascal, I think I was, look, I was looking at it a little bit earlier, I think it's at 61% on twos right now in Indiana. Obviously, it's a small sample, but that's insane. And so being able to just get some of that early offense stuff, in addition to he can be your pick and roll ball handler, he can be your screener, he can boogie and ISO if you need him to, and then you get him, you got Buddy Hill, go setting, go screens for him and stuff like that. There are so many things that they've already sprinkled in with Pascal that they're going to continue to do. Once you add Tyrese into the fold, that's going to be one of the best two-man pairings in the NBA. All right, uh, Nikias, I know you do uh, a lot of WNBA work as well for WNBA and in addition on uh, the Dunker Spot podcast. And wherever, if you're hiring Nikias, you're, you're getting some some WNBA in there. It is uh, free Correct. agency time. What is front of mind for you? Like, like what is the you know spiciest free agency storyline here we're looking at? Um, it's twofold right now. We got the bombshell from Ramona Shelburne that Neko Gumake of the LA Sparks, is, she alerted the Sparks she's not coming back after 12 years there. And so, top of mind, where the heck is NECA going? Because she's taking meetings with, I think, five or six teams. The Liberty one of the teams that she planned to meet with. I was like, wait a minute, what cap space do you even have? <laughs> and if y'all are all taking less, is Brianna Stewart playing the three next year? What is that going to look like, if that's even a real possibility? So following NECA, Gumake is going to be story number one, which replaces the original story number one of Skylar Diggins-Smith, who missed all of last year, very clearly will not be returning to Phoenix because of the hashtag antics going on there. Um, so <laughs> her free agency is going to be big. There are a lot of contenders or French contenders that need a point guard. And the last time we saw Skyler, she was at worst, the second best point guard in the NBA, in the WNBA, uh, behind Chelsea Gray. If you want to give her that, that specific year, I probably would have said Skyler was better still. So she's going to change the championship odds for someone, wherever she lands up. That's going to be Connecticut, Washington. If Atlanta wants to take a jump after making their first playoff appearance in a little bit, I think Skyler's going to swing some things this year. 
We, uh, I, I got to dig in further on the WNBA CBA. There's got to be more cap loopholes for the Liberty, right? Like, like they're just there's stuff we haven't <laughs> discovered yet that's in there, and that's how they're gonna make this work. Uh, like it's a it's a hard cap situation. So if you have star players that are willing to take less, the Stewie didn't take her full max last year when she signed with the Liberty, and helped got Courtney Vandersloot in there. Same with the Aces, where they have their core locked in, but I think everyone in that core is making like 200k. It's not the full max. That's how they were able to add Candace Parker last offseason. So if you got stars that are willing to do it, even if it's for a one-year thing, they can make it work. I just want to know, in the case of NECA to New York, that's going to be a pretty heavy haircut for her or John Quill or both in regards to Stewie to get NECA in there. So it can happen. I It feels unlikely, but we'll just have to see. Super teams killing the WNBA. Uh, we're not headed for that uh, just yet. Someone's got to look. Someone's got to load up further, though, if someone's going to take down the aces because uh, that season they're coming off of uh, my liberty uh, not getting it done uh, at the end. I got a, a non-basketball one for you here. Uh, Nikias, you, you prove a, a point that I've made for years, which is that the smartest people on basketball Twitter, for whatever reason, also like wrestling. Like, you, you look at... NBA analytics people in in actual teams and then you look mm -hmm. at their old tweets there's wrestling stuff in there it's just it's a weird connection uh, I know you were live tweeting the the Royal Rumble I had Samson folk uh, come over with uh, some other friends for it as well so I gotta ask you uh, we'll we'll see on Monday Night Raw tonight on Sports at 360 if he officially makes this decision but uh, Cody Rhodes finishing the story against Roman Reigns at WrestleMania uh, is it happening can, can I give a take on that? Yeah, absolutely. That if Steve is watching, is gonna gonna upset him. Technically, Cody already finished the story. He had Roman in a submission hold at WrestleMania last year. Roman tapped. The ref <laughs> didn't count it. Roman tapped. He already lost, in my opinion. But I do think they're going to go that route. I think they're going to try to blend this in. I guess my big question moving forward, I guess we'll learn more as we get towards Elimination Chamber, is like how exactly are they factoring The Rock into this? Yeah, because like tease some stuff. And then we just didn't see him for the Rumble. Like, I thought he was going to be a surprise, like, 29 or 30. He just didn't pop up. So is there going to be some interference there? Or is that going to be some post-mania stuff, or like SummerSlam or whatever? Like, that's kind of at the back of my mind. But I do think they're going to ultimately go to Cody route this year. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, you can't do the finish the story story a third WrestleMania in a row. So you probably got to finish it <laughs> at some point or uh, or just move on. Of course, you can check all that out on Sports at 360 and Sports at Plus for the uh, the premium live events. That big one, Elimination Chamber in Australia, uh, the next big one. That would be uh, a lot of fun. Really quickly before I, I let you go here, guys, uh, Ben Simmons potentially back tonight. Are we letting ourselves like a little bit believe that, that he could get back to being like a reasonable rotation player. Or is it gone? Um, It's a yes for me. Okay. Like I'm probably, I'm off the, he's going to return to like all-star French all-star. I think he can still be a good starter. Okay. A good rotation piece for you though. I don't think the tide is really going to turn on Ben Simmons until he's on whatever contract he gets after this one. Cause I think honestly, if he plays well, it's still going to be, well, he has this max and he's not that. And so I don't think the national perception on him is going to change. But I do think he's someone that can still pass. Before he got hurt again this year, like the defense looked pretty good by my estimation. He's someone that can still push pace. You can use him with shooters and handoffs and stuff. Like I think he's a still a useful player when he's healthy. He has to regain consistent aggression as a driver. We know that. And as a finisher, and we know that. But if he can put games together, I think he can come close. I think he'd still be a good productive player. So I'm excited to watch him. I am increasingly in the minority on that front, <laughs> but I am very excited to watch him.
Look, I'm excited too, man. That Nets team is not particularly watchable lately, so this could be uh, this could save their you know league pass uh, value for us. Uh, Nikaias Duncan of the Dunker Spot and Old Man in the Three. Thanks so much for taking the time out, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. Got to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nikaias Duncan of the Dunker Spot. Excellent, excellent podcast. Make sure you check out him with our pal uh, Steve Jones Jr. and that Old Man in the Three podcast with with JJ Redick. Uh, we're gonna take a break here. When we go back, we joined by Kyra Lewis Jr. Raptors picked him up at the trade deadline. Uh, looked to be kind of a make the salary math work kind of a thing, but he's looked pretty solid for Raptors 905. This is a guy who was a lottery pick who before tearing his ACL two seasons ago was arguably the fastest player in the NBA. He's helped the 905 to a big win on Saturday. They have a big back-to-back coming up here Tuesday, Wednesday at Paramount Five Food Center in Mississauga where um, they have a chance. It's a fringe one, but they could get back to, you know, maybe the back end of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference there. So we're going to take a break, and then we're going to learn a little bit more about Kyra Lewis Jr. as he joins us. You've been listening to The Raptor Show, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, joined now by one of the newest additions to the Toronto Raptors. Uh, been a nice spark for Raptors 905 as well. Kyra Lewis Jr. Kyra, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good. Uh, so welcome to Toronto and to Mississauga, first of all. Um, Want to talk a little bit about the trade and what that was like. But Saturday, you guys come up with this very big win against Grand Rapids. You, you close it out with some good team defense down the stretch. Um, how are you finding it on the court with the 905? How, how big can that win on Saturday uh, be for you guys moving forward here? Uh, it's been a smooth transition, um, just getting comfortable with my teammates, uh, the coaches, um, just seeing how I can add my um, strengths and abilities to the team. Um, the win Saturday was a big win. Um, just try to win as much as we can to help them get to the playoffs, um, help us get to the playoffs and, you know, do whatever we can to just make it tough um, when we're at home and get those games we got to get and, you know, just keep getting better. Um, the Tuesday, Wednesday, back-to-back you guys have here uh, against Maine. Um, you know, are you guys talking like, hey, now's the time to make this playoff push? This is a team just ahead of you in the standings, and the East is as tight as it is? Uh, yeah, every game uh, we're going in and just taking it one game at a time, just trying to do whatever we can to win that game. And then after that, we get ready for the next. So just keeping it a one-game mentality as much as possible, um, you know, just go from there. Uh, so I know you were, were talking about the other day how the number three looks good on you. Um, have you got to take a look at these Lunar New Year jerseys that you guys are going to wear on Wednesday, the one with the dragon on the front? I haven't. You haven't I seen haven't. them yet? Okay. Uh, I want to know your your response to them once you've seen them. So Wednesday, I think it is, you guys will be uh, in a cool jersey with a dragon on the front instead of just, you know, the Raptors 905 usual. So you, you got okay. that to look forward to. I do. Um, okay, so the the trade that happened the other week that brought you to Toronto, um, did you, like when you catch wind of that, when you get told about that by your agent or by the Pelicans, did they tell you right away, hey, you're going to Toronto? Or was it, did you, was there a moment where you thought you were going to Indiana? How, how did that work? Uh, no, they told me it was Toronto. Okay. I didn't know Indiana was, um, I didn't know Indiana was part of it to, um, I had looked, I guess, on the internet, you know what I'm saying? But other than that, I just knew I was going to Toronto. 
What was your uh, your initial reaction to that? Whether the the Toronto side of it or just being traded, you never been traded before in your career. Uh, it was just um, it was just all it all happened fast. I called my parents, my mom, my dad. Um, I told them first, um, and then you know from there, you know it gets out. So all the people that found out that's really into like sports and basketball keep up with me. Um, or my the team I had played for, they had um, they was calling me, but I had already knew at the time. So. No, it was all it was all quick though. I had to pack all my bags and just keep moving. What were your are your parents still Alabama based? Yes. So were they like disappointed? Like even though obviously you want to be in the you know on the NBA side, not not the G League side. Like that's that was easy for them to come out and see you at, with Birmingham, right? The the Pelicans G League team. Uh, well, yeah, they only got to come to one game because oh. the crazy part about it, it was. Um, it was snowing, so like it was ice on the road. So you know, they really wasn't. I guess they was kind of sad, but in hindsight, they really they was okay with it. Yeah. So you're you're ready for Toronto weather then? It was it was snowing and icy in Alabama. You're you're good to go. Well, it was it wasn't snowing in Birmingham, but <laughs> even if it was snowing in Birmingham, when I got down here, it was a different type of cold. Um, what is what has that process been like? Like like getting from the Pelicans to Toronto getting settled and things like that, getting to know the city a little bit. How has that side of things been, been going? Uh, it's been smooth. Um, just whether it's just walking down the street, you know, just looking um, sightseeing, um, just looking at buildings because down South, you really don't got that many buildings. You know what I'm saying? So just looking, seeing the snow, it's all been good. Um, you know, I have no complaints and I'm, I'm getting adjusted pretty well. I feel like. Did you know the organization well? Uh, like, was, was it, I know you you got picked probably well before in twenty twenty. The Raptors would have, you know, they didn't have a high pick that year. You you probably didn't talk to them uh, a ton. But did you have any relationships in in the organization? Did you have a, a feel for what the Raptors would be like? No, I I really didn't know. I, I other than the people, like you know who they played for them and you know how the high ups. I really didn't know how it was gonna be. So when the first day I got here, it was all new. How have um how have the conversations been about you know hey this is what we this is what we see you as this is what we want to see you develop this is where you know you we think you could have a role with the Raptors. Oh, uh, they've been good. Um, whether um, just going my PD coach. Um, you know, they talk to her a lot, so I'm pretty sure just working on the things I'm working on now, um, I'm, I can definitely add change of pace, get in the paint, I feel like, and uh, make opportunities for teammates and myself. So um, just going through my PD work, um, listen to my coaches, and just knowing when I get my opportunity where I can uh, help this team. So um, you tore your ACL back at the end of 2021. You were back on the court in under a year, you know, get ramping back up in the G League and then back to the Pelicans, all, basically one year from when you initially tore it. Um, is that entirely behind you now? And, and at what point did you feel like kind of, okay, I'm back? Uh, it's definitely behind me. Um, but when, once I first got on the court, I feel like from doing that all that rehab, I feel like I was just back. But of course, there's a difference from your first year into your second year. So like coming into this year, um, just when I was with training camp with the Pelicans and all that, um, I just felt like I was back to myself 100%. So um, I always felt like it, but I would say like, as far as just getting everything back from ACL, um, it was going into this year. I feel like I was completely back. Was, I mean, every, the first thing people think of when they think of Kyra Lewis Jr. is the speed, right? Was that 
where was that in terms of how quickly that came back and how, you know, where your comfort level was with, with that part of your game, the kind of full pace transition part of your game? Uh, it, I guess it would just go from like probably a couple months after when I started playing to like going into this past summer. Um, it, I just gradually um, worked on it when um, the off season with my lower body and like I said, I got to training camp. It just all came back um, from there. And now I just feel like um, it was just like it was before it got hurt and probably even a little bit better um, with all the stuff you had to do in re uh, rehab and all the um, different positions, pause, um, hmm. that you got to um, <laughs> that you got to do. So uh, uh, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm 100 percent back for sure. Uh, I asked him this as well so I'll, I'll see your answer if you guys have the same answer are you are you faster than marquise noel who who would win in, in kind of a full court sprint between you guys uh i don't know that i i really haven't seen him uh he is fast from when i played him actually when we played him in birmingham yeah uh, he was definitely faster than i thought he would well uh, i don't know I, I i feel like one of these days we had to do it though because i'm not a uh he might have had an upper hand because i'm not like a a technical like sprinter like you just gotta tell me to run like okay. if he you can give me like on your mark you said god might have a little slow takeoff but you never know uh okay uh, and congrats to marquise by the way he got named to the g league next up game uh today hopefully that hamstrings uh feeling a little better uh soon so in, in talking to marquise actually one of your former teammates in new orleans came up in jose alvarado and marquise told me he had kind of picked his brain a lot about you know making it as an undersized point guard what that needs to look like defensively what was your relationship with, with jose alvarado like did you have those same kind of conversations with him um Oh no, Jose definitely—he was my guy. Um, we did a lot of things, um, whether it was on the court or off the court. We was just always cool. And uh, when I got hurt, um, you know, when he was playing, I was just pay attention to what he did. So now, like picking up, just whether it's just picking up or just picking up your man to just be in his face, like he's just always disruptive. You know what I'm saying? So like, I feel like with my speed and uh, my quickness. Um, I feel like I can do that just being able to just agitate a ball handler or make it uncomfortable for somebody. And it also gets you locked in in the game when you come in and you pick up 94 feet because you are magically engaged because you can't let your man just beat you down the court. So you got to slide your feet. You got to do something that's hard. So, you know, it just automatically gets you engaged in the game. So I feel like that's why I do it now. Is that kind of what you see as if, if the Raptors called on you, you know, tomorrow and said, we need, we need a point guard up here, uh, Kyra, what can you give us? Is it kind of your, your point of attack defense where you, where you feel like you can make the biggest impact? Um, yes, most definitely. Uh, I feel like um, I haven't really, on um, my first, when I was in New Orleans, I really didn't show it as much. I feel like I, I should have. So now when, whenever I get in, I'm just, where does when I first get in just to get warm, I'm, I'm not even really thinking about the defender, but I'm at the offensive player. But, you know what I'm saying? If he give me the ball, you know, he might get shaky with it. I might get an easy steal. But I'm just really getting going in there to try to get warm or, like, you know, add add some type of energy to the game where somebody come, like, somebody notice it, you know what I'm saying? So, and it just gives me a lot engaged in the game defensively and offensively. 
Um, so while you wait for that opportunity, and it looks like you'll you know you'll get an opportunity with the Raptors in the second half of the season here. Um, your willingness to go to the G League because you're a fourth year guy. You know you had some say in going to the 905 when you arrived here. What was your thinking with that? You know why have you been eager to continue getting getting the reps in the G League while you wait for another NBA shot? Uh, well, I just feel like I'm a hooper, so you know what I'm saying. I just want to go and get as much live game rep as I can uh, aside when I'm not in the rotation with the main team. So, you know, so whenever the opportunity do come, I'm already in live game rep. I feel good about my game. I don't have to worry about my timing off or it's, it's um, not on, you know what I'm saying? So I just feel like if I play and get as much live reps as I can, by the time I have, whenever I go up to the Raptors, I'll be in game time rhythm. All right, so if you go up to the Raptors, there is a guy there that you, you've played with a little bit before. I, I was looking at the uh, 2019 under-19 gold roster that, that you guys won with, with Team USA. You got to play with Scotty Barnes for that. By the way, that roster, I don't know how much you, I'm sure you remember it very, very well, but that roster is just like nothing but really, really good NBA yeah, players that now. Roster, that <laughs> roster is all, mainly all pros, I think. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Uh, I think uh, Isaac is really the only one who's, uh, who, who isn't, you know, in the NBA, but like Tyrese Halliburton's on that team. You yeah. obviously, Jalen Green, Zaire Williams, Jalen Suggs. Cade, Scotty, Mobley, uh, Jeremiah Robinson. I guess uh, Reggie Perry's not not in the league, but you know, close enough. He's gotten some cups of coffee. Um, what do you remember about playing with Scotty in that event? Uh, he was just always like the high energy guy, like always yelling when he dunk, he yell, play <laughs> defense hard, high motor guy, like how he is now. Um, so you know, it's always easy to play with somebody like that. And also, I feel like, you know, like I said, when you when he sees somebody come in and pick up 94 feet and just playing defense or playing hard and, you know, just trying to make easy, more easy opportunities for the team, you know, I feel like that would gravitate to a player like him. So I, um, it was good playing with him in USA. You know, he's a great player, great two-way player. Um, you know, whenever I get my shot, I'll be looking forward to playing with him up here in Toronto. What have you, I, I know you've only got a little bit of a look at it here, but you've seen him a, a couple times over the years. What, where, what have you made of what he's been able to become as an NBA player so far relative to, you know, being more of an energy guy on those USA teams and, and even at the college level? Uh, he, he's definitely um, expanding, like, his offensive game. I feel like um, his shot for sure, um, his mid, uh, little mid-range shot, his three-point shot. And just his versatility, um, whether he wanna score in the inside or the outside, we post up or he can come off pick and roll, get his teammates involved, not selfish. Uh he, he really then developed in every part of his game, I feel like from his rookie year, you know what I'm saying? It's just good to see a, a player like that do that. And you also take stuff away from him when I'm watching them work out or something like that, you know, seeing how he approach every day. How has it been different at all? You know, uh, I, I'm sure most teams run it fairly similarly, but any differences between like how New Orleans ran practices or, or that individual PD time versus what you're doing now? Uh, it's, I mean, it's different, but it's all the same. Yeah. I feel like in its own right, you know, you might have one or two drills that you didn't do here that um, you did at your other team. But I mean, for the most part, it's all the same. Uh, I feel like, you know, so... It's a, it wasn't this kind of a smooth transition. 
Um, all right. So Maine Celtics, the next two days, Tuesday and Wednesday, down in Mississauga, Paramount Fide Food Center. Uh, big games for you guys. So I, I don't imagine Marquise will be back because of the hamstring thing. But you are playing in these kind of three-guard lineups with, with Kobe Simmons and Javon Freeman-Liberty or, or Marquise when he was healthy. Um, what is that like for you? How, what, how does that change things for you guys when you have three guards like that on the floor? Uh, you know, I feel like whoever get the rebound, like if the team miss, um, on can bring it up, which they, which we all can. And you know, sometimes you know you might have a ball handler trying to pick you up ninety four feet, but you have another guard that's out there that can bring the ball up. Um, you know what I'm saying? And then we all can be interchangeable and go in different uh, positions. So it's been good. Um, just like I said every day while I'm here, um, being able to see how I can just add more and more in my ability to the team, um, you know, make it easier for uh, my teammates and, you know, myself. Well, Kyra, looking forward to these next two games and looking forward to uh, seeing you back with the Raptors uh, before not too long. Thank you for taking the time out. Uh, I appreciate you guys for having me. Kyra Lewis Jr. of the Toronto Raptors, of Raptors 905. Uh, Raptors 905 in action Tuesday and Wednesday, that Wednesday game is the Lunar New Year celebration game where they'll wear that very cool jersey that we uh, we talked about on air with the dragon on the front. I, I might have one coming for Will. Uh, we'll see. He's he's not listening to this, so he'll, maybe he'll be surprised uh, a little later in the week. We'll we'll make him uh, wear it as a, as like a bib when he's he's eating his chunky his chunky soup, and we'll see how spicy uh, he can take it. Um, a couple updates from or a couple non updates really from from Raptors practice. Uh, today, Jakob Pertl, according to Eric Kareen of The Athletic, did participate in a play group, but it was, uh, you know, one of the lower down play groups, certainly not the starting uh, group. He was in workout with Otto Porter, Jalen McDaniels, uh, Garrett Temple, and Chris Boucher, as well as some staff members. Um, Eric Kareen's read on it uh, via Darko Ryakovich was that Pertl needs to get his conditioning up. Um, this is Eric speaking, not Darko, but Eric said uh, he'd be surprised if, it, if it's tomorrow uh, because they have another two games off. So why why push it if you have a couple more off days coming up? Uh, there is no official injury report yet, but that's kind of where things are at for Jakob Pertl. The fact that none of the media on the road uh, mentioned Emmanuel quickly status suggests to me that it's not a very good status on the bull side. They're going to be without Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, Tori Craig, Lonzo ball. So uh, both sides will be a little shorthanded for that one. Um, one small Hawks note coming out of the Raptors having played the Hawks. If you saw DeJounte Murray as a scratch yesterday, and it was a late scratch and you thought maybe that was something trade wind related, uh, our pal Mark Stein, who will of course be on the show Wednesday as he is every week, uh, said that an interesting wrinkle to emerge on the DeJounte Murray front is that league sources say Coach Quinn Snyder has lobbied the Hawks to keep him. So uh, the Hawks in a, a bit of a weird spot here where, yes, technically they're three games above the Raptors in the standings, but in terms of what actually matters and the big picture, uh, they're in the same spot as the Raptors. They're, they're not good enough to be relevant in the playoffs, and they might need to take a look at, at future years. But um, the DeJounte Murray situation will be one of the more interesting ones to watch between now and and next Thursday's NBA trade deadline. So we'll have a lot of coverage of that in the, the next two weeks, as you'd probably expect. Mark Stein on, on Wednesday, as he always is, uh, will do an extended trade deadline show as well, covering the NBA trade deadline as a whole, not just the Raptors side of things, because the Raptors side of things might not be uh, 
as interesting as uh, the last couple weeks have been. One other NBA note, uh, I can't do around the NBA by myself here with two minutes, but uh, Joel Embiid's out again tonight. Um, so if anyone thought he was just ducking Nikola Jokic, um, that is uh, that is a real thing. He's out again, and he's kind of inching up on maybe he's not going to be MVP and all NBA eligible despite averaging 36 points, uh, 11 and a half rebounds and almost six assists a game. He's only played in 33 games so far this year. So uh, you got to get the 65 or have extenuating circumstances. We'll see if he uh, qualifies in that regard by the end, but certainly something that 76ers fans are going to be watching closely. And as a, a friend of mine, who uh, is in the wrestling world and is a Philadelphia 76ers fan, joked to me during the Royal Rumble. Paul Reed pointing at the WrestleMania sign. Uh, WrestleMania is in Philly uh, this year. Sorry for the wrestling talk on today's show, but you can check out Raw on Sportsnet 360. Uh, I was just watching a lot of Sportsnet Plus on the weekend. Um, This does it for us today. I've been Blake Murphy. You've been listening to The Raptors Show. We'll lose back tomorrow. This show, by the way, The Raptor Show, brought to you by Campbell's new Chunky Spicy Soup. It's time to get fired up. Welcome to Campbell's Chunky Spicy Soup as the show's new sponsor. Uh, Really excited to be partnered with you guys. Really excited to make We'll Eat Some Spicy Soup uh, a little later in the week. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review. Thanks again to producers Mark Boffo and Amit Mann. To board producer uh, Austin, Andrew Adams rather, uh, Jennifer Rolnick, David Siss and Jared Manitad behind the scenes. Thanks to our guest Samson Folk, Esfandi Arbarohaney Brittany Donaldson, Nikias Duncan and Kyra Lewis Jr. We will talk to you with Will Lou back tomorrow. <laughs>